This is music in the key of Geneva. I'm Kelly Walker. Music in the Key of Geneva is an ongoing project of the Geneva Historical Society. Museum curator John Marks has been researching all kinds of music and musicians around Geneva and presenting what he's found around town and online. In a recent episode of Music in the Key of Geneva, John and I presented some vintage recordings from the early days of recorded music. Just talking about the stars of the late 19th and early 20th century who visited the city provided all kinds of insights into Geneva's musical history and its history in general. So, let's take more of these artists for a spin, so to speak, in a gramophone concert encore. All right, so who else do you have for us? Well, I'm going to switch gears a little bit. And instead of just talking about the vocalists, there were instrumentalists that came here as well. And this was a name that rung a bell for me. Albert Spaulding, and if there are any folks who have memorized everyone who is in the Hall of Fame and what position they played, his uncle Albert Spaulding, same name, was a baseball Hall of Fame pitcher. And for folks who maybe haven't rec- haven't memorized the Hall of Fame statistics, they may just know from Sporting Goods, uh, Albert's father and uncle formed the A.G. Spaulding uh, Sporting Goods Company which I believe is still around today.
so where where did where did uh, Spalding perform when he came to uh, Geneva? He came in February of 1921, and from what I've seen in the newspapers, they have would have I think they called them uh, winter courses where they would have a series of four performances. So I think he was one of these folks who came as the first concert of a four four concert course. But he was at the Smith Opera House in February of 1921. You know, the Smith even then seated well over a thousand people, approaching 1,400 people. Were these popular entertainments? Would everybody from town come? Would people come from surrounding communities? Who was in the audience for these? It's hard to say. I I feel pretty confident that a portion of the audience was probably from South Main Street, because from the early days of Geneva, that was the residential street of folks who had money, in many cases, had earned their money elsewhere before they came to Geneva. So there was certainly an educated, wealthy leisure class. By the 1920s, you also had uh, some homegrown wealth as well. Folks like William Smith and his family who had made money in the nursery industry and folks from Geneva who had started other factories in the 1870s and 1880s. So you had kind of Two, two wealthy leisure classes, uh, but from slightly different origins. So you could say one of them were more nouveau riche. Um, and then you had quite a few uh, middle class folks. You had uh, bank managers and plant managers and foremen's and uh, foremen and folks like that who may have had some disposable income. And the big draw for concerts was the railroads. We had the major railroads to bring performers into Geneva, and then it was worth their while to come here because we had branch railroads that reached out to the smaller communities. So they would probably play here, but publicize it in Waterloo and Seneca Falls and Penyan and even smaller places like Stanley and Gorham and you know, also probably try to pull people from Canandaigua perhaps. All right, so who else do you have for us? I came across a name that I only knew from part of the music man where before Robert Preston in the movie is doing an introduction to the big 76 trombones uh, piece and he talks about remembering when everyone came to town on one day and he mentions John Philip Sousa and uh, W.C. Handy and then and Gilmore was there. I had never paid any attention to it and apparently Gilmore's band came to Geneva in 1892. Arts and Flowers, played by Gilmore's band, Columbia Records.
I know I ask the question a lot, but that one I really have to ask, do we know where the Gilmore Band performed? Because that would have been a pretty large and, and raucous organization compared to these these solo vocalists, these, these soloists and these, these you know, violinists who we've talked about before. In 1892, it was most likely Linden Hall. Linden Hall burned at the end of 1892, but, um, and Dove Hall was standing, uh, and this was several years before Smith Opera House was built. So the most, most likely candidate was Linden Hall. And Linden Hall was at the corner, if I recall correctly, of Seneca and Linden, where Super Casuals is now, correct? Correct. And what, what, so the, the ground floor, kind of spell this out for me, the ground floor was retail still, and that second floor would have been a large open space. Was it used for things other than concerts? Yes, and you can still see a number of these uh, buildings around the Finger Lakes and even in Geneva, Dove Hall is also the same way. Anytime you are looking at a fairly uh, wide storefront, so it would be uh, pretty sizable, and the first and maybe even the second floor seem to have kind of normal-sized windows, but the topmost floor would uh, probably have uh, very high ceilings, so the windows may be at least twice the size of the other floors. That indicates that they used it for some kind of public space or a theater up there. And Linden Hall, I think they did have a stage. Dove Hall did not, but I think uh, Linden Hall had fixed seats and uh, had a stage. So they would have all kinds of things. It was built in 1855, so I've seen notices that um, Hobart College would hold their commencements there because even at that point, uh, Hobart was still fairly small and only had a few buildings. Uh, they didn't have anything on campus to accommodate graduations. So commencements, political rallies during presidential campaigns and things like that. This might be a little bit deeper than the the papers give us evidence. Refreshments? I mean, when you, when you walked in, you say there was fixed seating. Were they serving drinks? Were they serving refreshments? Do we know? What kind of an environment was it? Because it sounds like a really vibrant nightlife. It really depended on the event. And what was interesting was we have to do a lot of extrapolation. You, you have to look at enough things to kind of piece it together. Um, so there's uh, Linden Hall burned in 1892. Dove Hall took over beginning in 1893. And a few years later, Smith Opera House was completed. And there was a notice in the paper, a review of something saying that whatever the concert was, perhaps it was a play, um, the boys in the gallery, meaning the cheap seats, began uh, hooting and whistling after <laughs> they particularly enjoyed something, and they were quickly uh, uh, they were quickly brought to heel because that may have been okay at Linden Hall, but Smith Opera House would be much different. All right, so who else do you have for us? We're going to take a real ninety degree turn here and talk about Joe Belmont, who appeared at the Nestor Roof Garden. So for folks who are familiar with modern-day Geneva, if you go down Seneca Street to Exchange Street, right ahead of you is a large modern brick structure, which I believe is senior citizen housing. If you have been in Geneva prior to about the late 1980s, I think, uh, that was the Seneca Hotel, and your grandparents will probably remember it as the Nestor Hotel. And that was built in, I think, the 1890s and then expanded when it became the Seneca Hotel. And it had a roof garden, which I can't really imagine 
the ad even says Nestor Roof Garden, coolest place in town. I would just love to be on the top of one of these buildings. You know, I assume fairly well appointed with greens and plants and shrubbery, uh, having a cocktail, looking out over Seneca Lake. And how about the artists? He rated a small Wikipedia article, not as long as some of these folks, but I'll also read from the ad because that's interesting. The way names are thrown out, like you would just automatically know who they were. So this was from 1899. Joe Belmont, the world's greatest whistler, excels Lawton, who recently made the hit of the season in London, or Mrs. Ella Shaw in song, whistling, and bird imitations. So he was, he was not alone in this endeavor. Apparently there were a number of people out there making money as whistlers. really grateful that these recordings have survived because you wonder how entertaining and interesting a whistler could be but really the first time that I listened to some of these these recordings my jaw dropped he was he was an astonishingly talented individual but I seem to recall when we talked about this at a live presentation he there's something that came to all people in age that perhaps was an even more extreme problem in a day of uh, less advanced dentistry that pretty much ended his career 
Apparently, whistling is that much, not that much different from other wind instruments, like playing the saxophone or trombone or, or trumpet. Uh, I'm, I'm sure if I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. I'm sure. I'm sure. Um, he had dental problems. He started losing some teeth, and it, it changed the shape of his mouth, and he couldn't whistle as well as he used to. But he did start going into getting back to the idea of gramophones, Apparently, he had enough left that he was able to start doing instructional um, gramophones. I believe one was even how to teach uh, songbirds to sing. So if your parakeet was not doing what it was supposed to, you could put on Mr. Belmont, and hopefully that would uh, get him going. If you'd like to explore more recordings like this, visit the Library of Congress National Jukebox. You can find the link in the show notes. L-O-C- gov jukebox Music in the Key of Geneva is a production of the Geneva Historical Society. Carrie Lippincott, Executive Director. John Marks is our Executive Producer. Music in the Key of Geneva is supported by a grant from the New York Council for the Humanities. Any views, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed in this podcast do not necessarily represent those of the National Endowment for the Humanities. I'm Kelly Walker. Thanks for listening.